Support for this podcast is provided by Fountain. As the market leader in high-volume hiring, Fountain helps its customers find qualified candidates and move them from application to onboarding quicker, reducing time to hire from weeks to days, or even hours. Fountain's all-in-one platform not only simplifies the screening, interviewing and hiring experience, it also ensures applicants remain engaged and that companies have pipelines full of ready-to-work hourly talent. Hundreds of customers use Fountain Solutions to hire over 3 million workers annually in more than 75 countries. Ready to find the best hourly candidates for your needs? Visit www.fountain.com to learn more and get in touch. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi there, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 477 of the Recruiting Future podcast. Hourly hiring remains challenging for many employers, and despite the worsening economic outlook, it will likely remain a huge challenge for several years to come. So what innovations are we seeing in how employers approach hourly hiring and in the technology they're using? What does good look like now, and how will automation define the future? My guest this week is Sean Baer, CEO of Fountain. Over the last few years, Fountain has helped companies hire over 13 million hourly paid workers in more than 75 countries, meaning Sean has a lot of insight to share. Hi, Sean, and welcome to the podcast. Matt, it's great to be here. An absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Please, could you introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do? Sure, I'm uh, I'm Sean Bear. I'm uh, based here in the in the states, uh, in lovely California, and uh, I'm the CEO of Fountain, uh, and we're in the uh, high volume hourly recruiting space or blue collar recruiting space. If you if you happen to be a listener around the world, so uh, we're in the software business of helping large organizations hire the right people to power their business. Tell us just a little bit more about how you how you do that before we kind of get into more depth around the industry. Yeah, you know, I think if you really kind of step back at a big, big picture, right? You know, if you go back over the last 10 years, I think people would say hiring specialized knowledge worker talent is really, really difficult. I think we've heard lots and lots of podcasts. We've read lots and lots of articles about people who need to hire software engineers and how difficult it is to hire the right software engineers. Very little has been talked about over the last 10 years about hiring people who are on the front lines of of work, people who are in your warehouses, people are in stores. That that part of recruiting has sort of been, you know, an area that has really lagged in innovation, lagged in technology, lagged in investment. And so Fountain's put all of its effort around helping these organizations one, find the right people. You know, I think if you talk to talent acquisition leaders, many of them will tell you if they're recruiting in the front lines, they used to get more applications. They don't get as many now. Well, with Fountain, you know, you get all the applications you need. And and critically, you get the right kind of applications, whether it be people with a specific background, a specific license, a specific experience, the right kind of availability. 
right? So kind of finding the right people, getting them interested in working for you and your company. And then really critically, how do you turn those applications into people who show up for the first day for their first shift, right? And we've got a great technology suite that turns those applications, those kind of initial interest, I might want to work for you, to somebody who's going to show up ready to rock on day one. Um, So that's kind of our focus. That's how we do it. Um, And, you know, this year, millions of people around the world in 77 countries will, will be hired using Fountain Software. Talk us through the the market at the moment, because there was a massive focus on how difficult it was to fill these types of roles during the pandemic and as we sort of came out of the, the, the peak of the pandemic. Obviously, the economic situation is changing around the world at the moment. How is that affecting the hourly hiring market? Yeah, it's been a great, it's a great, uh, it's a great segue. I think, you know, our large, large organizations that are hiring these hourly workers, I think, would say a couple things. They would say, it's never been harder, except in the last two years. So the last three years have been particularly challenging for hiring these frontline workers, almost impossible, to be honest, especially during the depth of sort of the COVID lockdowns around the world. Hiring these roles was, uh, I mean, just, just the most challenging thing for most companies that rely on frontline workers around the world. Um, it's eased a little bit in 2022. However, it's still far above the normal difficulty level of the last 10 years, right? And I think, you know, if I have to give sort of the, I guess that's the good news, right? <laughs> if for your listeners, it's, it's better than it was in 2020 and 2021. Let me temper it with a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, hearty pessimism, maybe a little bit for all of us, unfortunately, which is, you know, I think the next year isn't going to get dramatically easier. In fact, it may get a little harder, but it's probably just going to remain really difficult over the next, call it year or two, to fill these roles. There's some fundamental changes that have happened that unfortunately, I think there may be some people who are very optimistic who may be saying, oh, it's all good. Once COVID's over, I'm going to be able to fill all my hourly roles with ease. Um, I uh, I hate to be the bearer of bad news there, but I think uh, it's going to remain a really, really difficult, challenging market. If you just look at the raw data here in the States, there's just millions of more openings right now. Companies looking to hire someone than there are active job seekers. They're just, that's just the fundamental math is that there are just millions more openings than people. And so some people are winning in this market and some are some are losing. But that's kind of the big trend is I think it was really difficult in 2020, 2021. It's still really difficult, way harder than historical norms. And unfortunately, I don't see that changing going forward in 2023, 24, 25. That certainly tallies up with yeah, a lot of the conversations I've been having on the, the podcast with people who are still finding it incredibly difficult to find talent in those areas. And Matt, I think the thing that I'd say, I mean, if you want to, you know, not to leave our our listeners with the sort of the pessimism, but, you know, if you step back in, in a big macro picture, it's probably good news for all of us. The reality is the hourly worker has more options. They have more opportunities than they did five and 10 years ago. Um, 
And while that might make, you know, our specific hiring a specific role or, or if you're, if you're, if your customers work in sort of the logistics space, you know, filling a specific shift at a, a warehouse shift uh, or filling a specific role on a specific team might make it more difficult right now in this micro picture. But big picture, I think for all of us, it's good news that lots of workers in the world and especially here in the States have more options. They just, you know, that that's going to raise everyone. And while it might make it difficult in the short run, I think it's a good thing in the long run. No, absolutely. I mean, I was going to say something similar. It's so good to have a focus on hourly paid workers and how to attract them by getting them the best deal, but also really refining the way that recruiting works in this area. And I suppose that leads on to my next question. So there's lots of companies competing for people. What are the critical factors that are making companies successful in this market? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot, right? And I think, you know, if you if you think about sort of the things that you can do, there's things you can do and things you can't do, right? Obviously, money is a is certainly one way to solve this problem. You know, if you uh, if you pay a dramatically higher wage than everybody else in the market, um, you will probably find yourself filling jobs easier than your competitors. Um, unfortunately for most of us, there's the raw economics of our business. You know, we, unfortunately we, maybe we would even love to pay all our hourly workers 40% more than they're making today. And then very quickly, the finance team will tell you, well, that will not work for our business. And so you can't do that. So now you're looking for innovative ways without just raising wages uh, and going into a war of, of pay more, pay more, pay more. So how do you do that? One way is, you know, work on your employer brand, right? Making sure that people are clear about what is, what's great about working for you. I think you've, that's been an area where people were like, ah, don't worry about that. Now I think people are saying, no, we want to make sure that people are clear. What's great about working here versus working somewhere else. If we're all paying roughly the same amount of money, how do I differentiate from an employer brand perspective? Second thing is there, are there things you can do from a benefits perspective that maybe don't cost you any more incremental dollars, but give your employees a better benefits package, especially on the frontline worker. The third and probably the most critical one that, that I would talk about is speed. You know, I think it's a, it's a under, valued skill in the hourly work world. Fast is the best coin in the realm. Um, and the reason is that in a competitive labor market where a worker has options of going to six, seven, eight, nine companies that are all playing roughly the same amount of money, I don't want to say the person who gets there first wins, but I will say that the person that gets there first with the right kind of message, with the right kind of brand, with the right kind of offer, takes the pole position. And if you can be somebody who very quickly can figure out, okay, this person applied, I really think they'd be great for my team. My choices are to reach out to them on Friday morning or Monday morning. Assume that if you wait till Monday, someone else is going to kind of reach out to them on Friday. And then on Monday, it might be too late. They may already be down the path with another company. So kind of engaging quickly with the, with the right applicants very quickly. Speed is your friend, right? 
working on your employer branding to emphasize what's best about you. And then if you can add non-monetary perks, benefits, other ideas, all those things are things you should be testing and working on. To pick up on the speed aspect of that, because I know that many companies have had to look very hard at their recruitment process in order to to make things faster and to get those to get those offers out quicker one of the obviously one of the ways that 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 companies are doing that is looking at automating their processes how are employers automating their hourly hiring processes at the moment what kind of what kind of things are you seeing yeah i mean i think look and a shameless plug obviously for fountain we're we're you know we we are uh, an automation machine uh, if you want to call us that uh, behind the scenes um but with look, if you're hiring knowledge workers and you're hiring a relatively small number of knowledge workers, automation is not that valuable. You know, automating something where you're hiring five people, yeah, okay. If you want to automate it, automate it. You know, it's but you, but you're not a really big deal there. If you're hiring thousands of people, right? Relying on manual processing for five may be fine. Relying on manual processing for thousands is just going to drag you down. And so how do you do things like, you know, make sure that you're following up with every single applicant, even the ones you're not going to hire? How do you do that? Well, one way to do it is you could just hire some people who are going to manually follow up with every applicant. You know, you could trust your store managers or your regional managers to kind of follow up with every person that's applying. Um, That might work. That usually breaks down. What you really want is a system technology tool that says everyone who applies, they're definitely going to get some automated engagement from us, a welcome text. They're going to hear from us. They're going to get a, uh, a note that asks them to complete the next step in the application. You know, again, something a human being can do. And frankly, lots of your listeners who are on the knowledge worker recruiting side, that's what they do. Recruiters have been doing that for 30 years, you know, following up with the best candidates, sending polite rejection messages to the people who are not perfect. You just can't scale that when you're hiring 10,000 warehouse workers. And so using tools and being really smart about ensuring you're following up, ensuring you're pinging them at the right time, getting them to the next step in the application, those are all things where automation makes a big difference. And obviously Fountain, you know, that's one of the things that one of the reasons why our customers, you know, generally are staffing all the roles they need. They use our software to automate that process. Well, one of the interesting things about automation was really in the years sort of leading up to the pandemic, when we were talking about recruiting automation for the first time, there was a kind of real school of thought that this was this was impersonal and terrible and was going to radically make the candidate experience worse. And then we sort of went through the pandemic and there were lots of adoption of, of technology very, very quickly. The way that people thought about things changed. And it's almost like that's turned on its head in terms of how automation can improve the candidate experience. How are you seeing it improving the the candidate experience, the, the hiring manager experience, the, the the recruiter experience? Is that a big part of the equation? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great this this balance between automation and human is a really interesting balance, right? And I think one of the things we think about here at Fountain is sort of these, you know, this really human hiring. Like, how do you maintain the really human aspect of getting that job, getting that next opportunity, right? That's in our mission is helping people get to that next opportunity. 
right? While also balancing the fact that you've got to send, you know, for many of our customers, they've got thousands and thousands of people applying every day. It's just not feasible to kind of be really human every step of the way with 10,000 applications a week, right? Unless you have an unlimited budget for recruiters, which if you do, that's, that's great news. You, uh, you, you pull the trifecta with your finance team, but most of us don't have that, right? Most of us are dealing with limited staff. And so what we, what we encourage our teams to do and, and our customers to do is, look, you want to maintain that automation machine while layering in the human element, right? So I'll give you kind of a cogent example here, right? If, if, if you only hire people who are over a certain age, maybe, you know, because of rules and regulations and policies, you only hire people who are over 18 or over 17 or over 21. One way to, you know, you could deploy human humanity there. You could say like, look, we're going to have a human being try to figure out who, how old everyone is. Um, or you could automate that process, right? And then you take a second part, which is, you know, you could do a, an interview, quick interview with somebody, 15-minute interview. You know, you could use automation there. You know, you could sort of let the person do a video interview with a, some pre-formatted questions and that you could automate that entire interview process, right? Or you could have a human being interview that person live for 15 minutes. What we would say is, you want to deploy the aid, the, the automation when it's applicable and deploy the human when it's applicable. And in that example, figuring out if somebody's over 18 or not, and then taking the appropriate action, which is either politely rejecting them because they don't meet the age requirement or moving them forward in the process, that's probably something automation and technology can accomplish. However, maybe the place to deploy your humans is in the 15-minute interview screens, right? What, what I think we would say is have your recruiting team double down on the areas that really require the human and have the technology remove it. That way your recruiters, they don't have to worry about the age thing. Like that's no longer on their, their uh, to-do list. Instead, they can put all their energy on, is this the right person? Is this the person with the right kind of experience? Is this person going to be a fit with our culture and our team and our ethos? So that's kind of how I think most companies are starting to think about it is how do I, it's not, I don't want to get rid of my recruiters. I want to deploy them where they're actually going to make the biggest difference. I suppose the, the logical next step for this is, it, it, I suppose it, it reflects back on what you, you said a, a minute or two ago about recruiters recruiting small amounts of, of knowledge workers and giving this kind of highly personal, high-touch service candidate experience, if you will. To me, the logical next step from automation and getting that balance between software and humans is to offer that type of personalized approach at scale. Is that something that you're seeing? Is that somewhere where we're heading? Yes. Yeah, I think it's a great point, right? Like, you know, doing little things that personalize the experience uh, for the candidate go a long way, right? Even if it's automated, having it be personalized, having it be on brand for the company can be a big difference maker, right? So one of the things you obviously are, we, we send lots of text messages and WhatsApps and all kinds of things to applicants as they're applying for jobs. 
it comes with pre-formatted, you know, text that, uh, that fountain, you know, gives you, we always encourage our customers to do is to use the technology to make it their own and personalize it for the applicant. Right. So instead of saying, thanks for applying for the job, Matt, you know, thanks for applying for the job. We're excited to see you. Can you say, Matt, we're really excited for you to take this, the next step to becoming a blank, which is how, you know, maybe what we refer to as our employees. All of a sudden you've changed that message. You've made it personal and you've reinforced your employer brand. All you did was change a sentence. Very, very easy, but a big difference to the, to the employer. I think, you know, one of the things we always joke about is sort of the thanks for applying screen, right? Which is the, the, the screen most hourly workers get after they apply for a job is this generic screen that says on their, you know, their computer or their phone that says, thank you for your application. We'll be reviewing it and we'll let you know. There's no bigger letdown nor non-personalized way to, to let that worker know how you feel about them. And, and what I joke with, with customers is, you want to make sure they apply to another job at another company, show them that screen at the end. That screen says, go apply somewhere else because you probably need another application. Um, whereas if it said, Matt, we're super excited for your application. Typically, our, we review this, but you're going to start to get text messages from us in the next hour. Please be on alert. We really want you to work here and become a blank whatever the, you know, the name of your company is that, that tells me, you know, don't go away. We're going to be coming back to you really quickly and just very same, same ending screen, just a way different situation. In terms of the things that sit behind this and help people shape their, their strategy, particularly you know, when it's, when, when hiring is so tough, what's the role of data and analytics? Yeah. Data is critical. I mean, I think, Again, going back to our example of the sort of, you know, the small volume knowledge workers, right? You don't really need to do a ton of data analysis if you're hiring a marketing manager, right? You, you certainly wouldn't build a report that, that, you know, tells the CEO how many, oh, we posted our job to this number of job boards. We got this number of marketing managers applying, 111 of those 111, 64 were qualified, we combed through those and we found 10 that we did a deep dive on their resume. We interviewed six. We counted up with two finalists. We hired them. It, the whole process took three weeks. I think the most CFO CEOs would say, okay, great. You hired, you hired a marketing manager. That's excellent. If you take it towards volume recruiting, hourly recruiting, way different story, right? Now you're talking about well, last week we got 12,000 applications. This week we got 8,000. If we don't hire 125 people this week, next week we will need to double up on some overtime in the warehouses in the following states in the U.S. That overtime cost is going to be roughly $600,000. All of a sudden... Everyone in the finance team and everyone in the CEO in the office and all that is saying, okay, wait a second. How many, why did we only get 4,000 less applications? What happened? What did we do? Why didn't we convert? 
if we don't get those 120 workers, how are we going to, how do we make sure this doesn't happen again? From now on, I want to see detailed reporting every week on how many applications, how many engagements, how many people are starting because that overtime bill is a real number, right? That's a real cost to our profit, right? And it could be the difference between us, you know, making Wall Street happy or disappointing Wall Street and our investors. Um, and so looking at these things around data is really, really critical. Which job boards drive the best applicants for you? Not the most, the best. You may find that the biggest job boards do a pretty good job of giving you lots of people, but maybe there's a small job board somewhere where you're doing very little with them. But the people they send you turn out to be people who become really key team members in your warehouse or in your retail store or in your restaurant. If you can figure that out using data, you can say, well, wait a second, I'm going to figure out how to do more with this small job board because the ROI on those people is amazing. Those are examples of how data and analytics are just, they're fundamentally more valuable in the hourly work world of recruiting than they are in the knowledge worker world of recruiting. And why I think smart companies are starting to think about recruiting is really, you know, it's not just one team, right? It's not one function. It's actually specialized functions. There are people who are amazing at executive recruiting. There are people who are amazing at hiring knowledge workers. And there are people who are amazing at the field or sort of frontline worker, hourly worker sort of recruiting, but they're very different skill sets. You might be very good as an executive recruiter and because, you know, it's a lot of relationship and sort of uh, tiny amounts of high touch research. And you might be terrible at sort of the volume based analytical skills necessary to, su to succeed in today's sort of world of field acquisition. So as a final question, we, we, we talked at the beginning about what the market's going to be like for the next two or two or three years. I'm interested though to 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 kind of hear your your vision for the future and I suppose it's a in in some ways it's a summary of everything that we've been talking about. But what's your vision of what hourly hiring will look like in two or three years time? Yeah, I think hourly hiring will probably be and I and I I've said this a few times recently. I think if you have a desire to be a CHRO or a VP of talent acquisition over the next couple of years, I think the best place to put yourself in a position to be one of those senior level HR leaders at a company is to succeed in the world of hourly hiring. It's not to take anything away from the world of knowledge hiring, nothing at all. But I believe that the best leaders will be formed from this sort of world of frontline worker, hourly hiring uh, world. I think where we're going to see it go is to be very, very specialized. I think we're going to see specific tools, specific software products, even specific conferences. You know, I can imagine a conference specifically on volume recruiting versus sort of just a general HR conference because the skills and the data and the analysis and the tools and the technologies that are required for doing volume recruiting it's just not like it was. And it's definitely very different than the world of knowledge worker hiring. And so I think it's going to be a challenging market for sure. I think it, and it, you know, I think it may be even a little more challenging. I think if, if the, if the, 
if the macroeconomic picture continues to remain murky, and I think we all hope that it uh, abates and that we head back towards uh, greener pastures in the economy, but if it doesn't, it's going to be continue to be challenging in the hourly worker world. The reality is that during sort of recessionary periods, you know, many places like supermarkets and fast casual restaurants and all kinds of places that are a little bit less sort of expensive see huge growth because people choose to buy some groceries versus go to a fancy restaurant or they choose to you know, buy a bottle of wine versus going to a wine bar. Those kinds of things are going to be the choices that consumers are going to make if we remain in a murky economic picture. So I think it's going to be a challenging place uh, to recruit over the next couple of years. But I think using technology, you can put yourself in the driver's seat. I think it's going to be a great place to cut your teeth and become a real leader inside some of these organizations. And ultimately, I think you know, the world of being an hourly worker will get better and better as we sort of innovate and we compete and the best, the best companies will get all the people they need, especially if they can deploy the right kinds of technology. So that's kind of the big picture, 2023, 24, 25 uh, crystal ball. And uh, you and I'll have to talk a couple times over though to, uh, to see how I'm doing. Sean, thank you so much for talking to me. Absolutely, Matt. Great to be with you. My thanks to Sean. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram by searching for Recruiting Future and TikTok by searching for Recruiting Future Pod. You can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list to receive our new monthly podcast newsletter and get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.